and welcome to this latest Science Custom Podcast, created in partnership with Bold, the blog on learning and development. I'm Sean Sanders, Director and Senior Editor for Custom Publishing at Science, and I'm very pleased to have you join me for this series of podcast interviews with outstanding researchers who are attempting to make positive changes in the lives of children and adolescents by seeking practical solutions for a complex world. Apart from this common goal, they are also all recipients of the prestigious Klaus J. Jacobs Research Prize, a 1 million Swiss francs grant awarded by the Jacobs Foundation that recognizes exceptional achievements in the field of child and youth development. In today's podcast, I'm talking with Dr. Dante Cicchetti. Dante is the research director at the University of Minnesota's Institute for Translational Research in Children's Mental Health. His research focuses on bringing together research from many different fields in an attempt to understand normal and abnormal human development, particularly in children and adolescents. I appreciate you taking the time to join me today, Dante. It's great to be here, Sean. Thank you. So, Dante, the first question I have for you is, what are some of the factors that have the greatest impact, uh, both positive or negative, on child development? First of all, in early development, Forming a secure attachment relationship with your primary caregiver, be it mother or father, has a great impact on positive outcomes. There are some children who don't form early attachments that are secure, uh, but that does not doom them to maladaptation throughout the lifespan. There can be individual, just say, self-determination factors that promote positive development, I think, even in the absence of uh, early security. I think the ability to regulate their emotions is critical. And of course, a contributor to positive outcomes you know, would be child intelligence. What things are negative? Well, one is child maltreatment, physical abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse, and physical neglect. Most maltreated kids develop less optimally than their non-maltreated peers. Other factors are institutionalization. Prior to any intervention, kids reared in in institutions do not develop in an optimal fashion. Not always, but parental mental illness can exert uh, a negative impact on child development. So those are just some. I mean, there's probably quite a few more than that. But early success does not inoculate a child to be successful against problems. And Early developmental failure does not doom the child to have later problems. What do you think determines resilience in children and why are some able to survive and thrive following adversity while others are not? Well, this is somewhat of a difficult question in that how does one define resilience? It's a multidimensional construct. So if you do well in one early issue, it doesn't mean in subsequent developmental domains that they're going to do well and remain resilient. So one could argue if an abused child 
somehow manages to have a secure attachment with its caregiver who has been the maltreater, that's resilience. But we don't know what happens to that child over time, psychologically, biologically, etc. So it's a dynamic developmental process. Now, some people, um, Dr. George Bonanno at Columbia, working with elderly people and adults, claims that resilience is very, very common. And Ann Maston, who is my colleague here at Minnesota, likewise believes is very common. Most people who are exposed to terrible things wind up doing okay. Doing well in the face of adversity still gives a child a chance to succeed. To me, I think these are amazing people. And Masson just thinks it's ordinary magic. It's a complex problem, but it's exciting. How does one become resilient? That's what we need to get way better at. What are the mechanisms underlying resilience? That's the big future research. You've looked at what interventions could help children overcome adversity and build resilience. Uh, can you talk about some of these interventions and also about the optimal time in life to initiate them? So one intervention that's been very successful with us is called child-parent psychotherapy, which is somewhat like a psychoanalytic treatment. I didn't do those. Sherry Toth, who uh, is the director now of Mount Hope, would be the person doing the child-parent psychotherapy. And so maltreated kids almost always have insecure attachments when they're really young. So we had a randomized control trial where we had some abused kids randomly assigned to child-parent psychotherapy, some randomly assigned to parenting intervention, some to the community standard. And finally, we even had a fourth group, which was just normal, non-maltreated kids from low socioeconomic backgrounds. So at baseline, at 12 months, maltreated kids had three out of 90 secure attachment. The parenting intervention was about three out of 90. The community standard was zero out of 90. And the um, normative control group was about 45%, which is very similar to what attachment security rates are in children from the low socioeconomic strata. So the interventions lasted 12 months, a long time. And then at 24 months, their attachments were tested again. Maltreated kids had a 54% secure attachment from 3%. The parenting intervention had 51% secure attachment from 3 but they are not significantly different. So child-parent psychotherapy and parenting intervention were the same. The um, community standard was at 4%. So basically, it did nothing for them. And finally, the comparison group had about, I think, 41%, slight decrement. So actually, those two groups look better than the normal control. And then you ask the key question about, you know, what's the optimal time to do an intervention? And that I can't answer. Timing, I know, is critical, uh, maybe more critical than what you do. But I don't think that 
if you don't do it early, like I said earlier, a, a child can't be helped or a family can't be helped. So the mechanisms of resilience and timing of interventions are real important things for future work. So the final question I have for you, Dante, is uh, how will the work that you're doing have a measurable impact in the lives of children and how can this be assessed? So I think we could change some of the practices and have in local departments of human services. And that would help children and, and families there. And I think we can help by talking about our work and show it can reduce stigma of, say, maltreating parents or individuals with mental illness, because not all maltreating parents are against their children. I think most of them love their children. One of the other things that we used to do was we had seminars every three months, and we would invite families in our research to come to the seminars. And we would show them videotapes of, you know, their children. We had quarterly newsletters where we let them know what we were finding. It was a partnership. They were helping us do research, but we were in their corner. And I think that's important. Mm -hmm. I think that's it. Dante, thank you so very much for talking with me about your work. It really has been a pleasure. Thank you. It's been great to meet you and talk with you. And thank you to our podcast audience for joining us. If you'd like to send us your feedback or suggestions, please send an email to custompodcast, all one word, at aaas.org. For more podcasts in this series, please visit the blog on learning and development website by going to bold.expert. Thank you again to Dr. Dante Cicchetti and to the Jacobs Foundation for making this series possible. I'm Sean Sanders. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.